0: Refuge Freedom Stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your guest host, Johnny T. Today, my guest is Sharon Hughes. Sharon has been an entrepreneurial coach for women, speaker, and has also been healed from brokenness and lives that have held her back. She suffered for some years in silence from abuse and some trauma, and that pivoted her over to a career as a best-selling author, and she has written a book called The Girl in the Garage, Three Steps to Letting Go of Your Past. How are you today, Sharon?
2: Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: It's a blessing to have you here. So that's quite a resume. And where do we begin?
2: Oh, well, that's a good question. Yeah. Thank you. It, it is quite a resume. I'm also a chaplain and certified in critical incident stress debriefing. So I know just a thing or two about how people's minds work and what trauma can do to a person. And, you know, I just want to share hope and healing with your audience and let them know that where you are right now is not where you have to stay if you're suffering from some brokenness.
1: Absolutely. So there's all kinds of avenues and all kinds of methods and all kinds of 10, 12, 14 step books and websites and things like that, that Mm -hmm. offer people peace and hope and victory. What makes yours different?
2: Well, mine is different in a couple of ways. One of them is, is a lot of people that have written books have not walked through it, meaning walked through the brokenness and come out on the other side. There's a lot of people that write books that are you know, really good in theory because they have a degree. They've got all those fancy letters behind their name. And there's a lot of people also that write books about their experience that don't really know how to add value and explain how to transition. It's more, you've probably have seen them or, or read them before. It's kind of like throwing up all the trauma, which is really dangerous because that can cause people that have had trauma traumatic experiences to be re-triggered. So I approached this very matter of fact, as if I was sitting and having coffee with you and saying, this is what happened and explaining really the emotional and mental setup that took place in my life from about the age of four or five and how that led to patterns of thinking and making decisions that weren't the best for me. And it's also written as a workbook. So somebody can get it. It's a small book. You can get a breakthrough fast. And of course, it's also biblically based.
1: Can you share a little bit about the things that led you into a certain pattern of thinking? Because I know in our audience, we're going to have people that may be going through similar things in their lives, and they need to know that there's ways that they can break free from those patterns. So can you Mm -hmm. share a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. So it's probably five or six years ago, I had just left a 20-year marriage. I was already certified as a life coach and really beginning to transition from being the owner of an international home decor business to really wanting to make a difference with women. And this particular morning, I was like rock bottom. I was laying in bed and I was praying and I just said, Lord, I'm not going to make it. I am just not going to make it through this. And I heard him say, What do you believe about yourself? And for me, it was like, God, you know everything. You know, you know what I believe about myself. And I had a list I'm not good enough. I don't deserve love, just all kinds of things like that. And he said, Is it true? And that was extremely pivotal. That became really the foundation of my book. Right after that, I went into corporate training and I was given free creative reign at the company I was at to create anything I wanted. And different department managers told me, well, we need soft skills. We need communication. We need to help people get to the next level. So I thought, okay, I'm going to try this out. And I started the training off by saying to this room of men, women, all different ages, all different ethnicities. Think of the thing that you've believed about yourself your whole life. It could be that somebody told you you were too fat to be loved. Nobody's going to ask you to prom. It could be the coach that said, you're not good enough. You're not going to make the cut. It could be the marital partner that walked out on you or the parents that kept telling you you're so stupid. Why can't you get better grades? And I said, now hold that thought. Don't tell me what it is. And I went through this whole training about what do you believe about yourself? And when I got to the end, I said, okay, that thing that you believed, what if you weren't that? Who would you be? And there was a lady in the front row and she yelled out, free, she didn't even skip a beat. And I thought, okay, I am really on to something here. So I did the same training a week or two later for another group. Same thing, mixed group, all different ages. Two people started to cry. And I thought, I'm going to get fired. You're not supposed to make people cry in corporate training. But what was so interesting was afterwards, there was a man that had started to cry. He was about 37. He came up to me and he said, I haven't spoken to my family in 10 years and I'm going to call them tonight. And the other gal was going through some really serious issues. She was much younger. But what this told me is how powerful it is of what you believe about yourself. Because a lot of the things that we believe, they are not true. We pick them up and we internalize them because of a word spoken to us. But just as important, things that we needed from parents and the people in our lives that should have protected us, that could even be you know teachers, pastors, coaches, Things that they didn't say when our hearts were broken. That could be internalized as love being withheld, which is very traumatic in in itself also. So this is where that thinking starts to take place. And I've just made it my mission to get people to stop and say, what am I believing? And is it true? I have my clients set a reminder on their cell phone to go off every morning. Your alarm goes off. And then first thing, I want you to stop and think, what are you believing about yourself? Because what you choose to believe is going to change the trajectory of your life.
1: Now, your book is faith based. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your faith and how you grew in that to that place of overcoming and victory.
2: Mm. You know, I don't remember a time of ever not believing in God. So my family was extraordinarily dysfunctional, but we did go to church, depending on who I lived with and what type of church it was. And it was a struggle. I grew up believing that God was like my earthly father and that I'd better not step out of line or he'd get the belt out. And I thought, oh, but Jesus died for me. So I like Jesus because, you know, he gets it. He understands and it took years. I think I prayed. Now I lay me down to sleep until I was at least 21, 22. I didn't know how to pray. And there was just so many times in my life I was calling out to the Lord and just saying, help me, save me. I don't know what I'm doing. And probably well into my thirties when I was raising my children and got plugged into a small church and, and started to learn more and press in, but still was really going through some very serious issues because Of all the brokenness. That church was not addressing handling brokenness. And no, I really believe the church is the hospital for broken people. It's not the place for perfect people like so many Mm -hmm. of us grew up thinking but it took years. And I was really, gosh, probably my mid to late forties when I read a book called You're Already Amazing by the Christian author, Holly Gerth. And she's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And this book was so much about, okay, right there in the middle of your mess, God loves you. And I thought, I've never heard this before. You mean it's okay to be a hot mess and not have all the answers? So I actually reached out to Holly on Facebook and started corresponding back and forth. And she was so kind. She said, you know, why don't you go go and get your your license? And I said, oh, honey, I'll be a hundred years old by the time I finish clinical hours. And she said, well, how about um, life coaching? And she gave me where she had went. And that's where I landed in 2013. And God has just been like, hey, girl, pack your bags because we're going on a trip ever since.
1: Yeah, it's exciting when God kind of sticks a fork in the road in front of us and says, so what are you going to do about it?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's good. yeah, He's so good. He's he, he is gracious. He doesn't force you, but he comes alongside you and walks with you, even if you choose the wrong path. He, he was with me through every bad choice, every mistake, every lie that I believed. He was there. He was saying, story's not over yet, kid.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I've, I've had that discussion with other guests on our podcast about how mm-hmm. God orchestrated their steps and was with them, even if they didn't realize it at the time but when we look back in the rearview mirror and we have that hindsight you know when god takes the scales off our eyes we can recognize those interventions and those times Mm -hmm. where we made bad choices but god was still there even when we made a bad choice to pick us up again and put our feet back on that path that he has destined for us
2: yeah yeah so faithful
1: So you talk about being a girl in a garage. That's a curious title.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And and if you see the cover of the book, it kind of looks like it's, you know, like it's mysterious. There's kind of this light and dark play on the picture where you just see the partial image of this woman and the light shining on her. And it was just the perfect image of God Mm -hmm. working miracles in the darkness So I had grown up with, like I said, my my family was a hot mess and there was a lot of abuse and dysfunction. Parents had divorced and remarried and that came with a lot of challenges of being bounced back and forth and being in, you know, picking bad, bad situation or worse situation and going back and forth. But there was just a lot of abuse even from outside of my family, such as babysitters, husbands and sons and things like that. And I really started to have this belief that I was a girl from the wrong side of the track and that I was there for just anybody's taking. So a lot of abuse went on from, gosh, you know, six, seven years old up until I was about 16, 17. But when I was 16, I went to a Halloween party and I went with an older boy. Why my parents let me go with an older boy. I don't know. You know where this is going. It's it's never good. (laughs) And when I got to this party, he wasn't real interested in being my quote date. And actually what's funny is the party was at his sister's house. But another sister handed me a cup and I took a sip and I went into the bathroom and I was, you know, fixing my costume. And I remembered thinking, I'm so tired. I just need to lay down. And I laid down on the floor and I woke up seven hours later in a garage with my date that was assaulting me. And as if that wasn't bad enough, it was the getting home to the front door is locked. The porch light is off, you know, knocking to have somebody come and let me in. And my mom came to the door, and she just looked at me. Now, I don't know about that kind of crazy parenting. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. All my kids are grown and out of the house. And boy, if you weren't in by curfew, I'd be pasting, I'd be calling, you know, I'd be looking for you, especially a 16 year old at four in the morning. That's just unimaginable. But it was never talked about. She didn't ask what happened. She didn't get medical attention. There was no police report, nothing. And that sealed the deal for me. That told me. I don't matter. I don't matter. And I I really am there for the taking.
1: You know, I think that's more prevalent in society than people care to admit. You hear a lot of stories about girls or women going to bars and getting something dropped in their drink and ending up in those kind of situations and, mm-hmm. and, you know, even like human trafficking and all those kind of things. And I think it's fueled by social media to a large extent, you know, because they're portraying it's so great to see somebody that's older or it's so great to go out and party with your friends, but they never show the dark side the reality of what the enemy is trying to do to our young Mm -hmm. people. That never comes to light unless there's somebody caught or there's a police investigation or something like that. There's such a battle going on right now for mm. our young people in this world. Yes. And it's important what you're warning our listeners of, whether they're parents or whether they're somebody who's younger listening to this show, what kind of yeah. advice or counsel would you give them looking back in the rearview mirror at those kinds of events in your life? Mm-hmm. What kind of wisdom would you offer them to, to give them some protection? some guidance, some something they could look to to help them break free from that pattern of how you say you felt like you came from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, Because and that comes from shame, right? You mm-hmm. know, the, the, the enemy loves to do that. He'll lead us into a trap. We'll falter or we'll stumble. And then immediately he takes away that, oh, this is going to be awesome and replaces it with you're so awful because yeah. of what you just did.
2: Yeah, that is the big lie right there. So here's a conversation I had with someone recently. We were talking about why is the shame card always played like, well, she should have known better. She shouldn't have been there. Well, what was she wearing? Who cares, right? Mm -hmm. Why isn't a woman completely safe, stark naked, in the wrong part of town at night? Why is it that that is somehow a signal that she's there for the taking or she was asking for it? Mm -hmm. Why is it that that is the thinking? That's broken thinking. Instead, it should be protect her. Where are the men that rise up to protect women that they see, you know, something's not right here. Let's protect just the way that you would your sister, your mom your aunt, your cousin, your best friend's baby sister. And so we were having this conversation and we said, every woman knows a woman that's been assaulted, but no man knows an assailant. We said, because there's this perception. It's almost like we've grown up culturally, believing certain things that are completely untrue. Mm-hmm. So really, I've got three kids, two boys. And I said, if you see a girl that's had too much to drink at a party, you do the right thing. You step in, you get get her home. You drive her home if you're sober. If not, you call an Uber, you call your mom. We're not letting anybody get hurt. And I think that that's really where we need to start calling people is to rise up and do the right thing. Don't go along with, oh, this is funny. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal she'll be fine or he'll be fine. I mean, it happens more to women, but this happens to men also. Absolutely, People do terrible, terrible things to men. And I think it's bad enough that women don't speak up about what has happened to them. They're more likely to share eventually. Men don't. I've met grown men that told me that they were assailed and never told a soul. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart. I'm like, gosh, you're, you know, you're telling me and it's, you know, 40 years later after something has happened to someone and it's just heartbreaking. But as far as advice goes, I think we all think, oh, this will never happen to us. But if you really knew the statistics of how common it is kind of likely it could happen to you. You need to be careful, stay in groups, You know, what's unusual is a girl handed me a drink. Now, was it, you know, handed to his sister by somebody else? Did they think it was funny? Was everybody, you know, just partying and everybody was doing that? I I have no idea. But even something that somebody thinks is funny and is a joke can go sideways really quick because kids don't have that capacity to really think, what is this person's medical history (laughs) and what I'm handing them could knock them out, potentially kill them. Like people don't think like that. And you almost think like, well, you know, 14, 15, 16, even kids early 20s at college, they don't think like that. They're trying so hard, so desperately hard to fit in and be loved and be a part of the group that they do things that they wouldn't normally do. Absolutely. And I think that's a that's a big part of it is you got to find your people. And if you don't have people and you're staying at home and you're watching Netflix or reading a book on Friday night, you're safe. <laughs> you're safe at home. And it's better to be safe at home and bored than to be doing something. Something that could have serious consequences.
1: A couple of thoughts. First off about chivalry. Oh yeah. Men need to practice chivalry. You Mm -hmm. know, the onus God put on us as men is Mm -hmm. to protect our wives, protect our girlfriends, protect our sisters, protect our mother. And that's a long forgotten aspect of manhood. Mm. And I think also about, you know, the abuse of men, it probably happens to a similar level. But as you said, it's kept a lot quiet, just because of the social stigma of it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 10 times tougher for men to express themselves about that. Obviously, God brought you through those things and gave you the insights to, you know, share your book and your story and to help other people. So how have you seen God work in people's lives with that kind of help?
2: It always surprises me when I receive a message from somebody that says, Wow, you know, I've never heard this before. This is life changing. But just over the summer, I took a gal through my book and she was probably in her later 60s. And every time I would meet with her, her book would be full of notes. And I thought, Wow, she's really, you know, head down doing this work. We got to the end and she said, I've never heard any of this before. I've been waiting to hear this my whole life. And I'm thinking, How is this not known? Like I was surprised because I had been in counseling, never had a counselor say, what do you believe about yourself? Never. And I thought the church is missing it. I grew up part of the time going to churches where they told you, you know, how bad you are and basically, you know, fire and brimstone and you ought to be groveling to God they completely miss the picture of the prodigal son in the new Testament where the Lord literally goes running to Mm -hmm. that son that has been gone. You know, it's, it's a beautiful story. If we can believe that Jesus would die for our sins, why does the belief stop there? Why don't we believe him for other miracles? And that if he loved me enough to die, he must love me enough to get me out of this pit. And and I think the burden is really on the church. And I don't mean when I say the church, like the building you go to on Sundays, like the people that know the Lord are the church and not everybody understands that, but we need to take those messages Into our communities is that God is more concerned about your emotional, spiritual health, and salvation than your marital status. So, for example, if you're an an abused, wife. So many pastors will say, well, the Lord doesn't like divorce. Well, also we can go down the rabbit hole on that, but Hey, it's like, you got to be safe because I don't think that you can heal from all these things. If you stay in an environment that continues to abuse you, it's like you were talking about chivalry and you know, it's kind of like the baton that was passed to mankind, but there's the other baton to us as the church.
1: I think you touched on where we talked about, you know, people experiencing trauma, abuse in their life and how that gives them a stigma in their own mind of not having any work. And I think that is part of the issue. People can accept the fact that Jesus died for them and that they could be saved, have a place in heaven with him. But the rest of that life, he says that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And Mm -hmm. I think the boundary and the barrier between just saving faith and truly experiencing that abundant life sometimes is held back because of those thoughts of unworthiness for God. So what would you say to our audience today? And they're in that place right now. Maybe they're just at the point where they just can't believe that there's more to this walking with Jesus than they're experiencing.
2: Mm. No, I would say that's you. No matter what you've done or has been done to you, God is for you. God is very personal and he's a very intimate God. He wants to step right into your life and take you by the hand. He meets you where you are. He's not the God that says, go fix yourself, get it together, get sober, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And then, then maybe I'll help you out. No, he says, call out to me. You just call out, Lord, Lord, wherever you are, I need help. Now, because we read in Hebrews, come boldly to the throne and find help in our time of needs. And that's what he says. It's come to that throne of grace, come to the throne of grace and mercy. Our God is a God of justice and mercy. So don't think, oh boy, you know, if I go to God, I'm in big trouble. Not like that he's waiting for you. He doesn't force himself on you. He's just waiting for you.
1: That's right. And he is nothing but good for us.
2: It's true. That can be really hard to believe, especially if you have a broken self-worth. You can think there's just no way. You may be sitting in a situation right now where you're just like, "Oh, I've made so many mistakes and, you know, I'm really paying a price for some of the choices and and thinking that God is punishing you." Through that And that's really not the case. It's just that there's consequences to our bad choices. And even like in my case, I paid the consequence for somebody else's bad choice i like to use the story of just a a person that's driving drunk. You know, they have that free will. And so they crash into a car and they kill a family. So that family pays a tremendous consequence for the other person's bad choice. And people will say, well, how can God allow this to happen? And this really causes people to become very, very angry. I do address this in my book, but it's a lot about that free will free will, the power of choice is like a superhero type of power. Because if you want to be able to choose what you're going to have for lunch, who you're going to marry, where you're going to work, well, you get the whole tamale of choosing Mm -hmm. things that have really big consequences. So when that happens, it's like, well, hey, God's like, I'm giving everybody the free will to choose. Some choose to do good and they reap good consequences, having a blessed life, different things like that. But if you choose to do bad things like driving drunk, somebody is going to pay a price. And he's like, I just say, you can't be angry with God because somebody else abuses their power of free will. It's like, it's not God's fault. You can't have both sides of the argument. People mm-hmm. don't like that. They don't always like it. It might help somebody understand it. but and, and you don't have to like everything, but if it helps you learn and grow, because sometimes growth hurts. So all, all you athletes out there, no pain, no gain, right? This is the same principle. Sometimes we have to go, oh, yeah, I have free will. I like my free will. I like choosing. So does Joe down the street. So I can't be mad at God for Joe's decisions. Be mad at Joe, not mad at God. Like there is a thing called righteous anger.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being <laughs> here today, Sharon. It's been a pleasure to talk with you and hear a little bit about your story. So if someone wants to find your book or your website, where are they going to go?
2: So the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It used to be on target.com, might still be there, but you can always find me at sharonhughes.net. And if you're an Instagram person, I'm on Sharon Hughes official on there.
1: Thank you so much for being here today. And God bless you in all of your efforts to help people break free from those events and things that are holding them back from
2: God. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. God bless you. Lord, I know
3: you. I'm a woman. Oh. 好
0: and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.